everybody. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. I'm going to take a few moments and pray and then see what the Bible, see what God has to say by His Holy Spirit. Father, thanks for uh, a time to meet, a place to meet, an opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that it's that opportunity. You're here in our midst. And so we welcome you, Jesus. We gathered in your name. We ask that you would lead us, guide us, empower us, inspire us. We ask that uh, there would be a breathing into our time by the Holy Spirit to bring life. And uh, so we just ask God for just a living time with you right now. A time where you speak, we hear, we speak. God, uh, interaction, conversation uh, between us and you. God, even as certain ideas or concepts or whatever that we are able to receive or are brought forth, I just pray, Father, that uh, you would apply your word to our hearts, you would apply your word to our lives. Just ask you, God, that we would be open, ready to receive what you want to say and what you want to do. Give you thanks tonight. I ask, God, that you'd be glorified. Pray, God, for change, growth, encouragement. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, there's some available on the tables. If you don't happen to have one, uh, you can feel free to grab one off the table. But we do have Bibles available. But turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 20. 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings chapter 20. Reminder. Uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. First Kings chapter 20. And I need a volunteer to read verse 11. 1 Kings 20, 11. The king of Israel answered, Alright, thanks. That was probably the best thing that Ahab ever said. <laughs> so take note of it. Uh, because that's Ahab the king. He's speaking there. And... Uh, 
he was facing an enemy. I'll just give you a little bit of background. The verse you can feel free to to read up in uh, in the verses prior to see what's going on. But he had been attacked uh, by the king of Damascus, I believe it was Ben Hadad was his name, and uh, he had uh, incurred into Israel into some of the border towns and had made a demand of Ahab. He had said, you know, I want such and such amount. And Ahab had agreed. Uh, he gave in. And so then, in true barbarian fashion, Ben-Hadad then pushed it a little bit further and demanded more. And so what we have here is King Ahab it gave in once, but on the second demand, because he got pushed too far, he actually stood up for something, and it was once in his life that he behaved like a king. Because uh, Ahab is an interesting character in the Bible, an interesting person, and we have an interesting account of his life, uh, and, and I'll go over that in a little bit because I think it's instructive to us, the way that he was, but he rarely really behaved like a king. And so this was one of those times where he actually did, it was probably the time that he actually did, and so as he stood up, and it was because the, the king, uh, Ben-Hadad, was dictating terms that were far too severe, and they were so severe that even Ahab had to stand up and oppose what the king was demanding, king of Damascus was demanding. Now, Ahab, he was a poor creature. Um, if you know anything about him, what do you know about Ahab? Anybody? Just to get a baseline here. King of Israel, ruled in Samaria. What else do you know about him? He was uh, married to Jezebel. Yeah, all right, that's an, important, that's an important thing right there. He had a wife whose name was Jezebel. And uh, Ahab was weak and he like I said he was a poor creature he, he was a weak person and like most weak people he turned out to be wicked and why do I say that well I say that because uh, the, the more there are far more temptations in life for evil than there are inducements to do God's will in the past those of you who've been around a little bit You've heard me teach on this that there's always a thousand reasons not to do God's will. Like whenever he speaks something, whatever it is, there's a thousand excuses, there's a thousand reasons not to do it, and there's really only one good reason to do it, and that's because he said so. So you think about all the things that God would say, well, this is my will. All right, well, I could come up with a reason not to do it. I can come up with two reasons not to do it. And probably you can come up with a lot of reasons not to do it. There's always reasons not to do God's will. And, and that's the way it is with temptations. There are more temptations for evil than there are inducements for good or to do God's will. And and that's just how it is. There's only one really good reason to do God's will. That's because he said so. So you, you've got all of these other temptations, all of these other things leading astray. And if you're a weak person, then you're going to be caught up in that. And Ahab was a weak person. He showed himself to be a weak person over and over and over again. And so, consequently, he was, as most weak people are, he turned out to be wicked. 
because he fell into that trap of those temptations, the multiple, the multiplied temptations for evil, he fell into then the inducements to do God's will. Now, that's a problem when a king is weak. It's a problem. It's a problem when any leader is weak. And we, we used to have, I think, a little bit better sense of this culturally, a little bit better sense of this as a society, that, that a weak person doesn't make a good leader. And there's reasons for that, and I guess you'd have to define weakness for yourself, but one of the main reasons that it doesn't make for good leadership is that is this very reason that there's always temptations toward evil multiply temptations for evil, and the weak person will fall into those. So, like other weak people too, he was also, and this is another problem with weak leadership, he was also, and, and this is the problem, influenced by stronger wills around him. And this is where Jezebel comes in. Ahab, because he was weak, uh, was influenced by those that were stronger that were a, around him. Now, on one side was his wife, Jezebel, who was stirring up to, stirring him up to evil and to serve idols. And if you look at the, the story of Ahab and Jezebel, that's what you see. You see her leading him astray in the sense that she is constantly trying to get him to do some kind of evil or trying to get him to perform some evil task for her. And in the same time, she's also uh, introducing and having him to uh, give some force behind the introduction and the continuation of idol worship in the life of Israel. So she had both those things going for her, and he was very influenced by her as she had a stronger will than he did. So that was one side. You had Jezebel stirring him up to evil and to idols. And then on the other side, you had the prophet Elijah who appeared in 1 Kings chapter 17. And in his first appearance, he went to Ahab, and he prophesied to Ahab. And so you had, you, had, you had Elijah on one side of him, kind of bringing God's thunder and lightning toward him, and that was freaking him out. Then you had Jezebel on the other side of him, who was just telling him what to do as far as idols and evil. So you got idols and evil over here, you got God's word over here, and then you got Ahab in the middle, weak. And so he would be rocked back and forth, and you see him oscillate between those two and between the stronger wills that were around him. Because Elijah had a certain amount of influence with him, but Jezebel had more. And that just marked his life. It's marked who he was. And it was interesting, a number of years ago, uh, it became popular in certain spirit-filled Christian circles to talk about, and, and you saw it in different texts regarding spiritual warfare, what was referred to as the spirit of Jezebel. And it became a rallying cry for guys. It's like they, they just were... They were all up in arms about the spirit of Jezebel and the fact that, they, you know, that they were all worried about the spirit of Jezebel. And really, if you look at the context of the scriptures all through 1 Kings, the issue wasn't Jezebel. 
that she wasn't the issue. The issue was Ahab. Ahab was the king. Ahab was the guy in charge. Ahab had all of the ascribed authority that anyone in Israel could ever hope for. He had it. And he could have made different decisions. He could have done different things. He could have, he could have made things differently than the way he did. But he chose not to do it. And in the context of that, that whole spiritual warfare movement, that whole spiritual warfare emphasis that took place years ago on the spirit of Jezebel, the real issue there is weakness, weakness in Ahab. And so if you use those as types of men and women, the real issue in, in that this particular line of thinking and this particular line of spiritual warfare has to do with a weakness of, of will and purpose in the men more so than it did any kind of conniving or any kind of weird ideas about women. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to get too much into detail about this because I don't want to take an hour to talk about it, but what I'm trying to get to is, is that the problem lies in Ahab. And that's what we see here. This is the problem. Ahab is the issue. And it's his weakness that leads to his wickedness. And it's his weakness that gives Jezebel a say in the affairs of Israel. It's his weakness that keeps him from following after what the prophet is bringing forth as God's word into his life. These are the real issues. And if you look at this in reference to who we are, you look at this in reference to our lives, you know, we look at it as like, it's the weakness that we face that, 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 that keeps us falling for certain temptations. It's the weakness that we have in us that keeps us moving toward failure in our lives over and over again. We want to blame somebody else. It's attractive to blame somebody else. You can blame whoever you want. It's like that person's fault. It's the devil's fault. It's whoever's fault. But the real issue lies in us. The real issue lies in me. That's where the real issue is. You know, I work with people in strength and conditioning, and I have brought this up a number of times recently, and and it, this is the case for everybody I've ever met in any training I've ever had that talks about how you're supposed to speak to people about their strength and conditioning. Because everybody, as they get older especially, has soreness. Everybody, as they get older, they, they experience joint pain. People experience weakness. People experience all kinds of stuff as they get older. And, and as a culture, we have certain excuses built in for that. You've heard me talk about this. Yeah, we can, you know, and, and you know this better than I do. And I, you know, I used to, I had, was going to a, uh, orthopedic surgeon for a while because I had both my knees scoped and I had my shoulders scoped from injuries way back from the time I was 16, 17 years old car accidents, motorcycle accidents, years of football, 12 years of football, and, and other stuff, that I, other stupid things that I did in my life and really ripped up some things in my joint. But, I mean, people will tell you, it's like, well, it's this reason or it's that or it's going to be this or this is what you need to do and everybody's got an opinion and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Well, the bottom line, and I'm just going to tell you, if you haven't ever heard this before, the bottom line is that we tend to get weaker as we get older. And the stronger you are in your joints and the musculature around your joints, the less they're going to hurt. All right? And I, and I 
I know that sounds really simplistic and I don't understand your situation. Okay, I know. Okay. But I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm just telling you because I work with a lot of people and I deal with this. But I can't do that because my joints won't take it. Well, you, your joints won't take it because you're weak and you should do that. And, and let's work through it and let's work our way up to that and let's see what we can do if we can strengthen your joints. And after we strengthen your joints, we strengthen musculature around your joints, let's see how you feel after that. And I tell you, if, if peop, and when people say, okay, let's give it a shot, they get stronger around their joints, then they don't hurt as much. And those of you that have been through that process, you know what I'm saying is the truth. I'm not saying you're pain-free all the time. Absolutely not. But you can move a lot better. You can do a lot more things than you did. And you're not living in pain the way you were before. But it's a matter of weakness. And, and people don't want to hear that. And, and I have a feeling people don't want to hear that falling into temptation is a matter of weakness in their spiritual life either. But it is. And you may not want to hear it, but it is. You may you may want to blame it on somebody else or some other situation in your life, but it has to do with a spiritual strength and emotional and a, a strength about you that's going to be able to stand and going to be able to resist temptation. Now, you think about that whole idea about resisting temptation. It takes a lot of energy to resist anything. You know, they, they call it, another word for weightlifting is resistance training. Well, yeah, because you got to spend some effort to do it. And so you, you hear people talking about, oh, resist temptation. Well, that's going to take some effort on your part. You're going to get tired doing that. Resisting anything gets you tired. It just does. If you've ever done any kind of a grappling sport, wrestling, uh, jiu-jitsu, Anything where you grab a hold of somebody and you're pushing against them and they're pushing against you over a long period of time, three to five minutes can be an eternity when you're doing that. Because it takes a lot to resist what somebody's trying to do. And you may not even be moving. You might just be at a stalemate. They're pushing, you're pushing, you're keeping them from this, they're trying to keep you from that, and you're barely moving. It doesn't look like a lot's going on. And you expend a ton of energy doing that because resistance is hard. It's hard. And so to think and say, all right, well, I'm going to resist temptation. Okay, well, be prepared to work. Be prepared to expend some energy. Be prepared to get stronger if you're going to be any good at doing that. So to to, to look at it and to say, all right, well, the reason this keeps happening is that you're weak, I think is a good starting point because you can get stronger. But you have to come to grips with the fact that you're weak before you even care about getting stronger. If you think you're strong enough, you're not even trying. Alright, you're just like, alright, I'm good. Well, I want to encourage you towards something better than that. And spiritually, I know we don't think of it in these terms a lot, but... Now, Paul used a few uh, physical activity kind of illustrations to talk about spirituality. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think that sometimes if we can relate something to the physical in any way. In other words, uh, Jesus given a parable. And he's using a parable, physical things that people face every day in order to explain something spiritual. If we can do that to understand something better, why not? And so... And so if we can get a hold of this idea of weakness, Ahab's a great example of that. 
He didn't have to be weak. He just chose. He, he didn't choose to be any stronger. And so he lived his life out. He, he vacillated between strong personalities, Elijah, Jezebel, whoever. He had advisors. He had other people. He was getting pulled in every direction. He's always getting pulled somewhere, always getting moved somewhere. What a terrible way to try to rule a nation. Not being able to stand, not being able to, to, to be strong enough to hear God and do what he said. Because that's what the king of Israel was expected to do. He wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it in the state that he was in. And so I want you to, up against that, I want you to think about what a ridiculous demand Ben-Hadad must have made. That would cause this guy, Ahab, to just stand up and say no. I mean, think about it. What would it take for Ahab to stand up and say no? Well, Ben-Hadad found out. He did it. Somehow, he accomplished that feat. And so Ahab, it says he stood up and he said no. His back was against the wall. He mustered up the courage. He mustered up the courage to just say no to what Ben-Hadad wanted. Excellent. See, that, to me, that's awesome that he was able to finally just say no. But that speaks more of the ridiculousness of Ben-Hadad than it does the backbone of Ahab. Now, in true fashion, and I want you to think about this for a second, uh, Ben-Hadad, uh, he, he's the adversary in this. Ahab, as weak as he was, is the king of Israel. And I say this, and this is a great example of this illustration, is that the devil always overplays his hand. I, I don't know how else to explain that. And you see that in prideful people. Um, pride is the sin of the devil. It just is. And you see this, this whatever you want to call this, this trait, in prideful people, the same trait that you see in the devil, in that these people will always, the devil will always overplay his hand. And so what you have here is you have Ben-Hadad, who if he had just asked for the gold and the silver that he asked for to begin with, he'd have gotten it. But he pushed it too far, so far that even a weak person like Ahab stood up and said no. And you will see this over and over again in the lives of prideful people. That they will push things way too far. And when they push things too far, something happens. A big fat no happens somewhere along the line. Even a weakling like Ahab finally says no. You know, people ask me, like, well, you know, they find themselves in situations where somebody's pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. And, and I say, well, how, how far do you think this will go? Or where do you think this will go? Well, it's going to go all the way to no. And whatever that means. That's where it goes. That if something isn't stopped, in other words, if that, that prideful person ain't going to stop. And so at some point, 
the other person is just going to say no, and that's going to be the end of it. And something bad's going to happen. And that's been the way it's been for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That there reach a point, a point is reached at some point, where the answer becomes no. In our spiritual lives, you see that. And you've probably experienced that in your spiritual life. Where the same thing keeps happening to you, and the same thing keeps happening to you, and the same thing keeps happening to you. And you're just taking it, and you're taking it, and you're taking it. And then at some point, some point, even in, a, in your weakness, you, you stand up and you're like, no more, that's it. And you stop it. You finally stop it. And you might be able to point to something in your life that's been like that. I mean, I can. I can point to things in my life that seem to go on forever. But then at one point, it, just, it was just too much, too far, too often. No, this won't happen again. Not going to happen. Stop. And so I, I say that for two reasons. One, we all have that point in our life. I don't care who we are, where we come from. We all have that point in our life. Second thing I want to say is there's always hope. If you're finding yourself in a situation, you don't think there's any way out, and it just seems to get worse and worse and worse, there's going to come a point where it's going to stop. This will. Even if you can't see it, even if you can't figure out how it's going to happen, you can't figure out what needs to happen, you can't figure out a way out of it, it's going to stop. There will come a point it will stop. And most of the time, that has more to do with you than it has to do with the other person. So Ahab reaches that point and he comes up with the best proverb of his life. This is his shining moment. I mean, really, you look at the guy's life. He had one shining moment. Here it is. This is his shining moment and we are going to glean wisdom from his one shining moment tonight. And I say it that way because I want you to understand, I'm not a big fan of Ahab. I don't look to Ahab for much wisdom at all. None. Except for this. This is it. This is the only thing I, you know, you're going to hear. It's like talking about Job, the, the accusers of Job, his friends. Quote, unquote, his friends. Yeah, people try to preach off his friends. His friends were wrong. I want to say publicly, you've heard me say this. Maybe some of you have, some of you haven't. I don't preach off the friends of Job. Why? Because they're wrong. Well, that guy makes a lot of sense. You should probably think about that for a second. Because he was wrong. Well, this guy, oh, well, that's a good argument. Nope. That was a terrible argument because he's wrong. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And it was wrong when you heard it, too. And so the best thing we can learn from the friends of Job is what is not God. Is not the way things are. You can learn a lot about religion from the friends of Job. You can learn a lot about religious people from the friends of Job. You can learn a lot about maybe conventional wisdom about God from the friends of Job. But what you really need to learn from the friends of Job is that they're wrong. They're wrong. And God speaks to them and rebukes them at the end of that book. Understand that book is all about primitive faith. A good, 
primitive faith, a good primitive understanding of God, a simple understanding of who God is and how he, how he works with us and deals with us. It's a great book for that. It's one of the earliest books written in the Bible. And it's awesome for that. But if you try to take Job and try to defend the people that are attacking him, you miss the point. And so Ahab's kind of one of those people. He, he doesn't have much to say that's any good, but he does right here. This is it. And this is his shining moment. And so what does he say to Ben-Hadad? And remember, this is his back against the wall. This is him being pushed and pushed and pushed to the point where he has to say no. He finally rises up and he says this. And you can read it. It's more eloquent in the Bible. But basically what he says is don't brag before the contest. Don't brag before the contest. Because you ain't got as much to say before you put your armor on. Or you shouldn't have as much to say before you put your armor on than after you take it off. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, I, I can't help you. Because it should make sense. And I know we live in a world that doesn't live this way. I know we do. Watch any sporting contest. Somebody's going get, to get up and they're going to tell you all about what they're going to do. And you got two people, two boxers. They get up. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to hurt him. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. You know what? One of them is wrong. Okay? And, 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 and a real, and I think a real mistake we make as a society is that the guy that was saying he was going to do all that stuff that gets his butt beat, we don't hold him accountable for what he said. And the next time he gets up and he says the same thing, we sit there just as dumb as we were to start with listening to him. Um, no. No. There ain't a lot to say before the contest. That's the way we were brought up. Those of you that are a little older, you kind of remember that, right? What are you going to do? You're going to let it. You're going to go out there and you let your actions speak for it. We'll see who wins. Because that makes sense. And so Ahab, that's what he said. He's like, you don't brag before the contest. And that was his answer to to Ben Hadad. That was his answer. Uh, to, to the king. And so the king, after Ahab says that, and it was a great response to what he had to say. A great response to what he had to say. And then what you see is, you see this other king, Ben-Hadad, blustering at Ahab. You see the bravado and all the rest of that kind of stuff. That Ahab's like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And he's telling him everything he's going to do and he's telling him all that is going to happen to him. He's going to tell him, oh yeah, I'm going to defeat you and I'm going to take your money, I'm going to take your silver, I'm going to take your gold, I'm going to you know, leave you in ruins. And so Ahab, this was his answer when it came to that. It was a dash of contempt and sarcasm, wasn't it? And a whole lot of common sense. Don't brag before the contest. We don't know what's going to happen yet. The Bible talks about it being folly to boast of the day to come. All right, let's look at some verses. Let's look, try uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Let's try on some verses, see what they say. Matthew six thirty-four. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
All right. So this is uh, looking at this from the other side of it. It's like, why are you going to be all worried about tomorrow? Why are you going to be anxious about tomorrow? You got no trouble today. Worry about today. Live today. We cannot live as a people. We're not really wired well to be living into the future because we don't know what's going to happen. And that's an important part of being human is to understand we don't know what's going to happen. You know, some of my favorite times are when everybody's telling me it's going to snow tomorrow and then the next day it doesn't snow. I love that. I love that. It's like, oh no, it's on AccuWeather. I don't care. Well, yeah, we're, well, we're going to get ready. You know, and they've started doing stuff like canceling school based on the forecast and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, it makes my day when the next day it's sunny and nice outside instead of snowing. Like, yes. Good. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. And, and yeah, okay, we're more sophisticated now and we can read the radar and we got meteorological degrees and everything. I get it. But we still don't know for sure. And we still don't know what's going to happen. And, and you don't know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in my life tomorrow. And we're not wired well to, to be worried about stuff like that. In fact, it eats us alive when we do. It eats us alive when we begin to live our life worried about the next day. It, it, it robs us of today. It robs us of our moments today. It robs us in our relationships it robs us of our sleep. It robs us of all kinds of things that we should be living in right here and right now. If we're living in anxiety, you think about all the things that that robs you of, robs me of. Enjoying our food. Enjoying our relationships. Enjoying some quiet time. Living in peace in our heart. Living in peace in our mind. How much does anxiety rob us physically of our health? All the negative effects of anxiety on your health. You think about that, your heart. Yeah. Blood pressure. Circulatory issues. Mental issues, emotional issues. You know when I'm anxious, my blood sugar spikes? What does anxiety have to do with blood sugar? A lot for me. I can tell you, even if I don't feel anxious, I can tell you when I'm really anxious because of my blood sugar. So I take my blood sugar two times a day. And I can let you know. But it's a wake-up call for me to begin to look. Say, how far ahead am I trying to look right now? How far ahead am I worried about right now? And I'm not even, I'm not saying you don't plan for the future and you don't save up for retirement or anything like that. I mean, yeah, whatever. I hire a guy for that. And then I don't even worry about it. The guy calls me all the time. He's like, I just want to make sure you're nice and calm because what the markets are doing. I don't know what the markets are doing. That's why I hired him. I don't want to know. And that's some of the things that I don't have a problem in that area, but I got problems in other areas. And you might have a problem in that area, but not in others. And it's like the guy has to make phone calls whenever there's a fluctuation in the market. He's like, oh, yeah, the market's down right now. I'm like, good, buy. It's up right now. Good, sell. I mean, isn't that what you do? You buy low, sell high. What, am I a genius? 
He's like, okay, that's a good attitude. Well, yeah, all right. But it's, that's what happens. But I don't worry about that. I got my own problems, all right? But it affects me physically. It affects my health. Because we're not well wired for it. None of us are. Because we don't know the future. Even the weatherman doesn't know the future. You have one job. He's right half the time. If anybody else had one job and they're right half the time, unless they played baseball, they would be out of a job. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, in baseball, if you hit a third of the time, you're, you're a star. But most stuff's not like that. So, yeah. So I, I, I want to encourage you that, you know, today's got enough problems in of itself, it's got enough experiences, it's got enough life, it's got enough joy, it's got enough whatever it is you're looking for, it's got it. And let's live in the moment that we're given, live in the day that we have. Anybody here ever, ever have a near-death experience? Yeah? I mean, like, really, like a near-death experience, like you, you're going to die. Well, there's something about a near-death experience, I've had a few and there's something about it. I told you, I do a lot of stupid things. There's something about that, though, that you appreciate the moment now. And it reminds you of that, and it settles you into the moment, which is now. Because the illusion is that we're going to do something about tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and the reality is we're going to live each day today. If you ever go into the conference room, there's a sign up in there. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it, it doesn't, I mean, it would seem like it wouldn't belong in a church, but it's just a sign on the wall that says, free beer tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. All we got today. So it's a safe sign because it's always today. We don't even have beer. We don't we don't even have any. We don't keep any on hand. We don't we don't have any in the fridge. Nothing. Because it's always today. It was, it's just a reminder to live in today. And if you're li- trying to live in tomorrow, it's just a sucker move. Another verse, James 4, James 4.13. You can keep going. All right, do you understand what James is saying to the churches? This is a a letter, one of the early letters, uh, pastoral letters that were written to a number of churches. And James is writing to the churches, and he is basically just telling them what we're talking about tonight. He's saying, it's like, you make your plan, you say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to be in this city, we'll 
live there for a year, we'll do business, we're going to go all those other places. Like, yeah, just be careful. Uh, because all of that has to do with God's will. All of that has to do with what He wants and the timing that He has. He's like, just be careful. Because you can say this, that, and the other thing, but the reality is, is that we move through and we move through. And and to try and and make something like that happen isn't very fruitful. And he was reminding the church of that. He was reminding the church that even as an organization, they could make the plans they're going to make, but the reality of it is God's going to do what he's going to do. The reality is we don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, a year ago, I, I wouldn't imagine us sitting here with masks on, right? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have imagined most of the the challenges we face this year. And yet, there's something about the challenges that we face that makes us stronger, even if we don't plan them out, even if we don't know they're coming, even if we don't have any way to prepare for them to get here or whatever it is. It makes us stronger. And you think about this whole idea of church and, and all that's been going on. It's kind of weird, but we're growing as a church. Even in the middle of this, we've reached a point where we're trying to add chairs and there's no more room. We have new people coming on a weekly basis to church in the middle of this. That's not only unexpected. I mean, it is unexpected. I, I there's no way I would expect that. I mean, we're in a, we're in a situation where you know, in reality, we should be holding, trying to hold our own, all right. But God has His plans, and He does what He does. And and for me to to say, oh yeah, I I, I knew this was coming. Uh, you know, we prepare. We no, no, we didn't know. Nobody knows. And so, our lives, as is described by Jim, I mean, we're that vapor, we're in the wind, and, and the Holy Spirit is blowing where He blows and doing what He does, and, and here we are, and, and that's it. I'd rather be pliable enough, I'd rather be free enough, at liberty enough in my own spirit, in my own heart, to be able to move with the Holy Spirit, than so set and so stead, you know, like, like really like cemented in my ways, that I'm not pliable enough to flow with God. I want to flow with God. And so, if I make plans, man, they're tentative on the Holy Spirit. They depend on Him. If we make plans, if you make plans, if I make plans. Because it's folly to boast of the day to come. And and that's what Ben Haydad was doing. He was just saying, yeah, we're going to we're going to rip you up there, Ahab. And I'm going to take everything you got. That's folly. Second thing uh, is this idea of pride. Like this extreme self-confidence that you see here. And a good example of that uh, in the New Testament is Peter. 
because yeah, and and let's look at a verse here. Um, Matthew twenty six thirty five. Can I read that? Matthew twenty six thirty five. Yeah, uh, and I know we pick on Peter, but all the disciples, if you read, if you read what it says there, they all said the same. Correct? Yeah, all of them. Now we know what happened though. When they came to arrest Jesus, and they were going to take him away, all the disciples ran away. They all fled. So every single one of them, every one of them, disowned him physically. By leaving him there. And then, if you know the rest of the story, and we'll get to that, Peter actually verbally disowned it. But what does it say in this verse? What does it say? I would die. Die. Before I would ever do that to you, Jesus. See, this is pride. This is an extreme self-confidence, in other words, Peter being confident in his ability to stand on the day of trial. And so the day of trial came, the hour of trial came, and what happened? He didn't stand. How about Mark 14.31? It would be a similar verse. Alright, again, emphatically. I like the word there, that's why we read that one. So emphatically, I mean, he was really serious about it. And proclaiming it, and other disciples proclaiming it. And saying, I'll go right with you to death before I'll disown you. I will go right with you to death before I'll ever turn my back on you. And and you might think, well, are you... You're being hard on the disciples. I'm not being hard on them. They said it. I'm just letting you, I'm just saying, I'm pointing it out that this was their statement. And this isn't a, a situation where Jesus was trying to draw out their allegiance somehow. This isn't a situation where Jesus was trying to, to get them to say something. He didn't force them to swear an allegiance to him or anything like that. This is voluntary. This is them proclaiming to him emphatically that this is what's going to happen. Pride. Extreme self-confidence. Confidence in their own strength and ability to stand on the day of trial is a problem. So in Mark 14, go down to verse 72. So we read verse 31, go down to verse 72. Alright, so not once did he disown him. Not even twice did he disown him. How many times? Three times. Three times. 
So, it wasn't a slip of the tongue. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't he didn't understand the question. He disowned him three times. In fact, yeah. So, what I want you to understand about this, Jesus knew he was going to disown him. The problem isn't with Jesus. And Jesus still loved him. And Jesus is going to keep loving him. Even after he said it, Jesus loved him. He knew he was going to disown him. Still loved him. Still loves him. That's not the issue here. The issue is Peter. The issue is the other disciple. Jesus knows who we are. The, the fact of the matter is, is that we're given opportunity to learn here. We're given opportunity to glean from wisdom. And like I said, if you got, if a guy has one shining moment in his life, Ahab has one shining moment in his life that we can possibly learn from, awesome. And I hope we can learn from this. Because what's being said here is that this is an issue, this is a folly in our life to boast of a day to come that hasn't happened yet. It's a folly in our life to be led by pride. So we're going to look at one last verse. It's in 1 Corinthians 10.12. 1 Corinthians 10.12. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the most embarrassing falls I've ever had in my life were when I thought I was standing firm. I'm just talking about physically. You know, like I finally get my balance in some mud or something, and I relax a little bit, and then just slip down and fall. Yeah. This happened to me not too long ago. I was walking down a sidewalk on Beach Street here. I was heading toward Thornton Park. And uh, I'd hit a part of the sidewalk where it was a little bit muddy and there were some leaves on it. And I took a step and I had a good, you know, I had a good step on it, took another step, good step, another step. And then I took another step feeling pretty good about the leaves. Like sometimes they can be slippery, right? And my leg went out from underneath me and I went right down on my knee. And... There was a car right there at the stop sign. And they honked and laughed at me. Yeah. I like to think I'm a better person for that, but... <laughs> so, what the verse says, if this is the Apostle Paul this time, right, to the Church of Corinth, he's, and he's just warning him, he's like, yeah, this is that, that kind of weird pride, self-confidence that we fall into as human beings, that when we, when we come to that place in our life, we look and say, oh, I got this now. And that's when calamity strikes. Failure. And so I think there's a good balance that we can draw from this. And, and I think gleaning from Ahab's shining proverb 
to the words of Jesus, to James the Apostle, to Paul the Apostle, is taking hold of some wisdom from these guys and recognizing that we need to live today. And let's just go about that. Let's just go about the moment that we're in. Let's just go about the day that we're living in. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. I think we get too far ahead of ourselves, we end up hurting ourselves. We get too far ahead of ourselves, we end up putting ourselves in a very weakened and bad position. We get too far ahead of ourselves, we add anxiety into a system that we don't need any more anxiety in. And I really believe that there's a lot of wisdom in understanding the moment that you're in and living in it. I think there's a lot of common sense to that. And if there's a lack of anything in the world today, it's common sense. But there's a lot of common sense in, the, in, in just living the moment. Living right now. And I hope you can take a little bit of wisdom from that. Let's take a moment and pray. And you respond. However it is that you feel like God has for you to respond, I encourage you to do so. But let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you'd speak to us right where we're at. God, we find ourselves tonight, we could be in a whole bunch of different places. Uh, anxiety, it's no good. Could be in worry, it's no good. Maybe we're operating in pride tonight. No good. I ask you, Lord, that we would find a peace and a rest in the moment that we're in. That we'd allow you to teach us in this moment. We'd allow you to challenge us in this moment. We'd allow you to change us in this moment. We'd allow you to fill us with peace. We'd allow you to fill us with joy in this moment that we're in. Tomorrow's got enough worries for itself. I just pray for this moment right now. Peace and love and joy. Rest to our soul. God, I thank you that uh, you give us strength. I thank you that we can count on you. I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you're true. I thank you that you love us, that you care for us. I thank you that you want the best for us. I thank you that you look out for us and you protect us. Thanks, God. Thanks. We're going to boast in anything, it's you. That's all we got. So God, I pray that we find a joy tonight, here and now, and that we live in it. Give you thanks and praise. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. 
UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 